All right, welcome everybody to this uh, episode of Breaking Absolutes. I am Peter Arulian, your host, uh, and today I'm, I'm actually thrilled to get to talk to Michael Sweet. I've been a fan of this man and his music for a long time, and as I always do, I spend a bunch of time with the music and as much material as I can consume in preparation for these conversations, and um, I was sort of overwhelmed with um, what I what I came to in discovering more about Michael and it, consistent with what this show is about, um, what I what I aim to do and the reason I told Amazon I would do this show is I want I care about this genre of music a lot and I feel like there are people who are pushing the boundaries and doing really important work as as thrilling and as exciting as fun as it is that also has that matters and deserves a broader audience. And um, there couldn't be a better example of that for me than Michael and his music. So let me frame up our conversation this way, and then we'll bring the man on. Um, he is, as many of you will probably know, the founder, songwriter, guitarist, producer, uh, lead singer for uh, the band Striper. Um, he has sold, and we'll talk about his solo career as well, uh, as well as some collaborative work he does. But he sold in excess of 10 million records globally which is um, a, a stunning number once you start to understand album sales. Um, the, the Striper album, To Hell With The Devil, um, was a multi-platinum album. Um, it, they, there are so many chart positions, I can't name them, but there, there's a few that all, uh, Sparklers, uh, Billboard Top 40 charts, they've had calling on you, honestly, always there for you. And I want to make a note before I finish the rest of this preamble, and that is that as much as these songs maybe really launched Michael uh, and Striper, um, it, it, I re it's really important for me to say, and we're going to, this will bear out in our conversation, he is, he is one of the hardest working musicians I know, and the music has only, I think, gotten better. It's easy to get um, enamored with nostalgia of the stuff that you first heard from a voice like Michael's, but... Um, as I think will bear out, the, the, the recent work is every bit as strong. Um, so I just wanted to say that, even though we're talking about some really big hits from early in his career. Um, they, they were the first group to have two songs in MTV rotation, uh, top 10, back when they played a lot of music videos there. Um, he has released solo work that has been critically acclaimed, um, I'm Not Your Suicide, which has some really important themes uh, that was a top 10 Billboard Hard Rock album charting um, he spent, I think, lesser known, he spent time with Boston, and I familiarized myself with a bunch of his live work here. It's really impressive, and I'll commend you to it in the notes once we're done. Um, in his self-titled work, uh, in his, you know, his solo work, um, his, his self-titled album had five number one singles. That record is really good, and um, one that if you've not listened, you need to go discover. Um, and then, of course, in recent years, folks have seen him pair with and team with guys like George Lynch. And I think there's some news there. So let me end the preamble and bring Michael on, and we'll just start our conversation with the man. Michael, welcome. Hey, how are you, man? That was quite an intro. I was turning, if my skin, my face is a little red, it's because I'm blushing. Wow. Uh, some incredible stuff there, and uh, I'll try to live up to it. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the thing about it is, it, and I think it's actually a testament to the fact that you're such a forward-thinking, forward-moving musician that that maybe you don't always have the time to look back at the body of work you've done. But it's um, it's emblematic, I think, of of how good the music is, and even how important the music is. That's a bias, but I think 
you know, I think that the, the sales and fan reception, those things sort of prove, you know, that's the proof in the pudding. Um, so it's, it's my way of saying it's well-deserved. Uh, let, let me start um, with your, there's, there's some biographical uh, information that talks about that as a kid, your dad was sort of a, um, I call it a music magpie. He listened to lots of stuff and it sounds like he really um, introduced you to a lot of styles, which has borne fruit over time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, my dad, and not just my dad, but my mom as well. Uh, my mom and dad are both musicians and singers and songwriters and have always been. Uh, my mom, when she was, I believe, 17, almost 18 years old, she was part of a, a, a trio, singing trio that traveled with Gunsmoke. And uh, it, pretty amazing. You know, it was my, my aunt, my grandmother, and my mom. And they sang for the traveling live version of Gunsmoke. And she met my dad and my dad was a musician playing in bands locally in the California, uh, Covina, Azusa area, Foothills. And uh, my dad looked like Elvis Presley. And when I say look like Elvis Presley, I mean, there's some photos pretty, pretty scary. I mean, the resemblance is uncanny. And my mom, look like Priscilla. Oh, wow. You know, same features. It was really odd. Uh, they, they, they were doubles for sure. But anyway, we grew up in a musical family. And my parents, when we were little kids, they were hiring babysitters to watch us while they would go out and, and perform. And they used to be managed by Mike Curb. Uh, they were in a lot of the old Dune Buggy movies, my mom and dad. Yeah, and um, so my, my father listened to and appreciated everything from uh, Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis to, believe it or not, Black Sabbath. He would, he would play Elvis and then slowly move his way into from the 50s to the 60s, 60s to the 70s. And this is back in the 70s, of course, when he was really playing lots of, you know, 78s and 33s and 45s. And he played, you name it, he played it and he loved it. He loved it all. Creedence Clearwater Revival. I, that was one of my first bands, one of the, one of the first bands that really influenced me in a rock sense that made me go, wow, I want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, Boston was the, you know, the ultimate light switch that made me go, okay, that's it and made me want to achieve a better guitar tone, better vocals, better uh, production, better songwriting, all of that. And then eventually Van Halen was the, the icing on the cake. But my dad loved all those bands. You know, I'd, I'd bring home the first Van Halen album and play it for my dad. He'd say, oh, wow, yeah, I like that, you know? Yeah. And it was just interesting from my dad, you know, growing up in a home that was so, it was so well-received. They gave every garage to us, Every single or two-car garage, they gave it to us. We turned it into a studio. Yeah. And, and we would rehearse, and my dad would, you know, come home from the railroad, work in the railroad uh, night shift, and bang on the wall, we'd go in, and he'd say, hey, you guys are sounding great. You know, just always supportive and just incredible. And, you know, we wouldn't be here, certainly, if it wasn't for my parents' support and, you know, helping us along the way. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool testament to the man. Um, and, and, you know, 
there's a lot of paths to, to musical life. But um, that early support, I think, has paid dividends in the – we'll talk about in some specifics, but some of the various musical approaches you've taken, and you do them all so well. Um, and some of them I was less familiar with, so I'm excited to talk about them here. Um, while we're on the topic of sort of fatherhood, I, I've asked this of other folks I've had conversations with, but you're, you're a dad. You've had, I think, a couple of kids. Um, Two kids, a daughter and a son, yes. So the, this sounds, I think this sounds like a leading question, like an obvious question, but um, I still want to ask it, and that is, uh, did that experience um, enrich or change how you thought or approach music at all, um, or, or even just inspire certain uh, records or songs? You mean having having children? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've spoken about this in recent times and in my book. When I had my kids, when, when my wife and I had our kids, uh, Michael was our firstborn, our son, and then Alina was four years later, almost to the day. And um, basically, what I realized uh, by having children was, uh, you know, there are certain priorities that should be at the top of the list. Those being, it, it, from my perspective, God, family, and everything else. Yeah. And I realized when I had children that my priorities were a bit out of whack because I was one of those guys who literally, and I can be this guy today that will lock himself in a studio and not come out for 10 years. I, I'm built that way. And by doing so, obviously, you neglect all the other things that matter. You know, music, let's face it, music is amazing. And, it, you know, it heals us and bonds us and brings us all closer together. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it won't, it won't be here when I'm 85 years old if I'm still alive. My, my daughter and my son will be. And, you know, my wife will be, in, you know, prayerfully and hopefully they will all be there. And that's what matters is our relationships with people and our family and, and whatnot. So it, it helped me, having children helped me to realize that and put my priorities in order properly. Yeah, it does that, I think, for a lot of folks. I, I don't know that I can say it, you know, uniformly, but um, I've got two, just like you, a daughter and a son. And um, I something happened to me, The ver I was in the delivery room, something happened to me the very moment I saw her that was physiological. Yeah. I was a changed yeah. person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing with me. The, the moment when before Mikey was born, I'll be honest, I was uh, nervous, scared, uh, you know, thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? Because, I mean, you got to understand Striper was in their prime when my son was born. We were literally on tour eight months out of that year. Wow. And I flew home to be there. And, and be there for Mikey's delivery. And then I flew out to go back on tour. Wow. <laughs> so it was just a strange thing uh, to not be there to for every moment and uh, in every moment. And the minute he was born, the minute I saw him, and I was there, it was a cesarean, and I was, I, they let me in uh, to see. Usually they don't. And, and I got to see him come out and they were holding him and he's looking around and it was the same kind of thing where instantaneously my, my life was changed in all ways. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is a really cool thing. I, you know, 
people need to make their own choices, but there's something about fatherhood that I think refines a man, um, for sure. For sure. And, and I went through my phases where, you know, I was traveling so much and certainly not making my family a, a priority. And that's one of the reasons why I left the band. And I talk about that in my book as well. Um, I wanted to get my, I wanted to get my life in order. So and I felt in order to do that, I had to leave the band for so, so much time. Real quick, give us the title to your book. It is called Honestly, uh, My Life and Striper Revealed. But the short answer is called Honestly. What, what was the release date on that? Was oh, my gosh. It's been a while. I had a feeling you were going to ask me that. No, it wasn't recent. It was, I'm going to say, sometime around 2000 and uh, maybe 11. Okay. 2011 or 12, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. And I could be off, but I don't know the exact release. I could certainly Google it and look it up for we'll, you. We'll put it, um, we'll put a link in the notes. That way we'll, we'll probably <clears throat> give people a lot of uh, ideas about you, things they may not know, and then they can dig deeper um, uh, when, they, when they go sure. find your book. But let's, let's transition a little bit to music. First, I, I read this, I think it was in an interview, <clears throat> and it shocked me a little bit. So you need to keep me honest if this is true, because I know what journalism is like today. But you said something to the effect that that you consider yourself a guitar player first and that you actually yeah. prefer that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's always difficult to wave your own flag. Yeah. And you feel by doing so that you, you know, are being vain or egotistical or, you know, me, me, me. And it's not about that for me at all. What it's about is I work really hard on my guitar playing. Um, I probably, well, not probably, I most definitely put more time into my guitar playing than I do singing. And I always have. And I started playing guitar when I was five. My parents bought me an acoustic guitar, you know, a little gut string, cheap acoustic guitar, but still nonetheless, an acoustic guitar. There's a photo of me playing it. My dad taught me all my first chords and I was really drawn to guitar and not singing. I mean, I would hum and sing and whatnot, but I was really, really into guitar. And uh, I pursued that and played and got better and played and got better, or at least so I think. And, um, started buying guitars and gear and started pursuing my own tone, you know, and at a, a relatively early age, as a teenager, I kind of discovered my own tone. I went to a pawn shop and found the lab series and bought it and preempt a Marshall with it. And that was pretty much the striper tone birthed pre striper, wow. you know, back, back when we were rocks and rocks regime. So I've always been a guitar player first. And then I became a singer but it's just interesting because still to this day, and I've learned to let it go because it's, it's, I have to, or it's going to eat me alive. But to this day, people don't know that I play guitar. <laughs> they come up to me after the show and say, we had no idea you, you played. And I, and, I, and I think to myself, I never want to be rude, but I think to myself, how is that possible? In every video, I have a guitar on, and not only do I have a guitar on, but I'm I'm taking the solo and performing the solo. So you'd think everyone knew I played guitar, but it's just not the case. You know what I think it is? Um, 
and this is just one man's opinion, but I think it's because where your voice is concerned, you're so exceptional. And I want to talk about your voice specifically after this. But I, I, I think that um, uh, it, it creates such focus and attention in your music that uh, you, you become known for it. I, I, I have to admit that same is true for me. The first, the, when I was first hearing you guys, the voice just overwhelmed me. Uh, I'm, a, mm. I'm, a, I'm a vocalist myself, and I've studied and, you know, I've performed. I've done some touring, so I feel like I have some, some foundation for the, you know, right. how I talk about it. And um, so I think that, that that's what happens is your fan base hears that. And there's just only so many guys that sit in that, that, that strata that do the kinds of things you do. Um, and I, I, th I don't think it's a, a careless disregard for your guitar playing. I think it's a, uh, because you're so exceptional with your voice. That's all I think that is. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I totally and completely understand what you're saying and I have to agree. And, you know, most of the time, if not all of the time, pe the people that don't know that I play, they do so with the, the utmost respect. Yeah. They, just, they just don't know. They didn't know. And usually they'll say, gosh, it, it blew us away because we didn't know you played. And here you are playing, you know, half of the solos, if not more, and in all the harmony solos, and we didn't know. And it, what was really cool about being in Boston is there was another singer and we split up the vocals and actually he sang more, probably two thirds of the song. I sang a third of the song. I got to shine a little bit more as a guitar player and that was kind of fun. Yeah. And, and people realized again, we didn't know you played. Tom Scholes didn't know I played, oh, you know? Wow. And I walked in, I walked in, well, this is at least the story that I recall. I walked in with my guitar and learned everything on guitar and he was surprised by that. Um, and the first thing we did was play guitar, three of us, Tom, Gary Peel, and myself, were playing all these guitars. And he stopped after one song and he's like, his eyes were huge. And he said to Gary, he said, oh my gosh, the guitars have never sounded this good in this band. Wow. And, That's quite and a compliment. I, I, that, it kinda, I got chills when he said it because it kind of blew my mind because I mean, Boston. Yeah, man. You know? Uh, and, and that was a band that was the band that really first influenced me in such a powerful way. Let's, I mean, I was going to talk about this later, but since we're on the topic, let's just go a little bit deeper on it. Now, how did, how did the, um, that transpire that you got that call? And the, the follow on question is with how, how large that band and, and Brad's voice looms in, in people's world. Were you daunted at all by that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I don't say this to get a laugh out of people, but I really think that I peed my pants a bit on stage uh, the first time I played with them. I, I was so nervous. My gosh. But, um, you know, what what happened with that is uh, Brad passed and I wrote something about Brad because Brad meant a lot to me. Boston means a lot to me. And it, it really had an impact on me as a musician and, and on my life. So I felt led to write something. And I did. And it was, it was short and sweet and, and just a few paragraphs, two or three paragraphs. And it just so happens that Kim Scholes, Tom's wife, uh, read it and read it to Tom, I believe. And they were moved by what I wrote and invited me out to sing at what was supposed to be their last show. 
And they had guys like Mickey Thomas and Sammy Hagar, Ann Wilson, all these people that were going to be coming to the show. And they asked me if I wanted to sing a song or two. And one of those songs was a song called Higher Power. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't familiar with that song. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it, it as you say it. I can't call to mind the melody. Yeah, I can't either song from one of their later uh, albums that came out a little later in their career and I, I i'll be honest deep inside i thought dang i wish they had asked me to sing rock and roll band or you know one of the hits yeah. but i said yeah i'd be honored and what happened was as a few weeks passed everyone started dropping off the radar sammy couldn't do it mickey couldn't do it all these people couldn't do it and they reached out to me again and said well hey do you want to sing more and I said, yeah, sure. So I got to sing more than a feeling, a rock and roll band. Uh, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, but then again, this was just singing, not playing. So I sat for, you know, hours learning all the guitar parts. And I went in there prepared, plugged in. That was very uh, surreal, plugging into Brad's rig. It said yeah. Brad on it. And I played the guitar parts and, and um, you know, it opened that door and i think because that show went so well they decided to continue on and they that night in the dressing room asked me if i would join the band and i was like wow and i thought how am i going to do this because you know my wife was sick at the time and i was her caretaker so i i had no idea how that would work out ultimately it did but you know um it was very interesting and very difficult well I, i'm gonna I'm going to encourage folks if they have not um, seen some of the performances, you can, you know, you can watch them on YouTube. You do absolute justice, I think, to Brad's memory in what you did with that. Um, it was so good, Michael. It really was. Um, I, I watched a whole bunch of it. And I'm, I'm actually sad in retrospect that I, I wasn't aware. I tr tried to find a way to be at one of those shows. Um, but uh, I appreciate that you stepped in there. Um, you know, because there's, there's, uh, it takes a certain metal, I think, to fill, fill those kinds of shoes and do it well. Um, I'll tell you, brother, I, that, I think that was my secret is I didn't try to fill the shoes. Okay. I think I felt like I had to try and then eventually I let it go. And it was based on a few things Tom said to me, uh, Tom when I would sing, like the first, I remember the first time in the rehearsal room, they said, okay, let's do more than a feeling. Michael, let's hear it. And I was so nervous singing more than a feeling, probably the hardest song to sing in rock and roll history, at least maybe in my opinion. Yeah. And I stepped into the mic and I sang it my way. Okay. Michael Sweet style. And Tom loved it. And everyone else there clapped and they were like, woo, and high five and everyone seemed to love it. Now, Tommy, the other singer who sounds more like Brad Delp than I do, he's got that tone. He would sing a song and change it up a little bit. And they would say, no, you got to go home and listen to those albums. We, you know, we want it sung just like Brad sung it. But I could get away with murder, so to speak. They would just let me sing it however I wanted to sing it. And Tom would say, no, just keep doing what you're doing. That's perfect. That's great. So it worked out for me. I didn't have to try to hit every note and, you know, yeah. everything that Brad did. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I should have said that better. I think um, I think it's clear when you watch the performances that you, you know, you're still you. Um, but I think I think the the I guess the quality of the the performance, you know, and the the you didn't you didn't try and step outside yourself. I just I was really impressed. Um, I, I, did they do any sort of released concert DVDs on any of that, or is it just all handicam stuff? Yeah, it's just all, uh, you know, in the moment, Handicam, live stuff. I, I don't think they did an actual release uh, and made that available to the public, but I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they did not. Okay. Um, all right, I have, to, I have to ask you a little bit about your voice. So we've established for folks who are less aware that, that, um, of your guitar chops. And by the way, as I was looking back at a, even the earliest videos, you always got a guitar in your hand, so it's, you know, you can tell that there's my, this myopia when people are focused on what you're singing. But that being the case, you do have, you possess this voice that has a, and has from the beginning and, and still, which is, I think, remarkable all of these years later, has this absolute kind of power to it, this, this fullness. Um, it doesn't get thin when you go up in your range. I, I, I needed to ask, is that something that you just cultivated with practice? Did you have any kind of training that helped you build that? I not really. I mean, I, the only training that I had was uh, with a woman by the name of Elizabeth Sabine. And she trained a lot of local L.A. guys. She was in that area, California. And we went as a group and she would work with all of us as a band. And, it, and we only did this two or three times. Uh, but that was really the only uh, training, if you want to call it that, that I had. Uh, basically, I think what, what helped me as a singer is my dad's eclectic music style. I mean, my dad would literally listen to, you know, Pavarotti and, you know, for 20 minutes and I would hear, oh, oh, oh I hear that operatic style and then go into Elvis and uh, onward to all these other bands. And I think subconsciously that helped me to sing uh, and, and belt out a little bit more. Now, early on in my career, uh, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, I sang really different. I didn't belt as much. I didn't do any high notes, okay? I had a much faster vibrato, you know? It was just a completely different delivery. Wow. And I worked, I got tired. I listened to my voice back and I'd say, oh man, I'm not, I'm not digging this. I'm not happy with this. I worked on my vibrato. I worked on my upper register and I worked on my power and singing from my chest. And I did all the tricks with the belt around my chest and holding a note as long as I could hold it. So that belt doesn't drop, you know, trying to it, it sing properly and, and sing with the right amount of air and not letting it all out. Um, so I did some exercises uh, growing up, and I think it really helped me. Uh, now, I have that kind of a voice where you either love it or you hate it. There's no middle ground with me. Yeah, There's just not. People either love it or they absolutely hate it. And, man, I've got a lot of haters out there, too. It's like, oh, I can't stand to listen to this voice. It's grating. And, and, ugh, you know? But the one thing I can say is, you know, good or bad, I don't really sound like uh, anyone else. I, I always worked on trying to have my own style. And I naturally have a little bit of a tone similar to Dennis DeYoung. Yeah. And I've had people, people tell me that, and I can hear that, but I never sang the Sticks albums or Dennis DeYoung albums and tried to emulate him ever. Yeah. 
just well, being honest. It's um, where, you know, where it first hit me, because I was even personally aspiring as a vocalist, is when I heard Honestly, and I know it's easy to use that as an example because it was such a big hit, but it was a song where the beginning was sung with such beauty and with such fragility uh, for a voice that by turns then just kind of becomes so forceful. Um, that's when I was like, wow, that's a guy to pay attention to. And I get your point. You know, there's there's always haters. I mean, Getty Lee had haters. They loved him or hated him, right? Right, um, yeah. But it's hard to argue with certain success. And I would put you in this category of vocalist. You're, you are 100% unique. Um, but to me, it's remarkable. I remember there was years ago, I can't remember the station, you did a Christmas special. And it, it wasn't what people knew you for. Uh, it wasn't all, you know, the big, powerful choruses. But it was, right. uh, I, it was another moment where I realized the diversity as a vocalist. And there were just, I mean, I'm a Christmas fanatic anyway, but that was such a beautiful program with you singing such great classical Christmas standards. Um, and you sang them, you still had the richness, but it, you, it was so tempered. I don't know. I, 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 I'm what I'm trying to do is create this. That people understand that I think the the complexity in your voice, not not complexity in a bad way, but like the the various tones that that you can bring to bear. It's really, Michael. It's really quite remarkable. I just I need. Well, wow. well I'll tell you, man. Gosh, thank you. I I, I think uh, you know where that comes from and and how that uh, you know came to be came to pass in my. Uh, voice and my style is I I would sit and listen to Priest, Judas Priest and Ronnie James Dio yeah. and sing, sing along and rock out to those albums and then it, it, you know an hour later I'd, I'd have Survivor on in Journey yeah. and, and you know uh, Whitney Houston and Sade yeah. and, and, and you know, my, my musical style and range is very very wide and i appreciate all types of music and i think that to a to a degree maybe a small degree has kind of rubbed off on me just since i love getting really soft and then getting you know more powerful in the dynamics of that yeah it, it, it makes it more interesting in my opinion than just always belting 100 percent or singing soft 100 percent. you know yeah you uh, it's clear that that's a technique you love because you you've mastered that you do that so well in your songwriting. Um, and I'm a, I'm a fan of music that has some of that dynamics in it. So maybe that's why I've been a fan of, of your songwriting for so long. Um, let's, let's talk some more about Striper. Um, I'm sure some of this ground has been covered before, but it's a really interesting topic I'd like to, to just touch on a little bit. But it's really interesting to me the degree to which um, Striper had this, this acceptance and resistance. Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, of course, you were, if not the first, I think the, the, the first like major Christian rock slash metal act to, to come on the scene. And what's interesting about it to me is I've got friends, I get together every week or two with a bunch of metal buddies. And some of these guys are de devote, like uh, almost sort of evangelical atheists but they right. still dig Striper. They still dig Striper. I know Striper. a few of those. I know a few of those. Um, and, but they still dig Striper. And um, the, other, the other side of that coin that's really interesting is there, I don't know how, how broad this was, but there were certainly people in the Christian community who just 
were kind of throwing stones, whether it was, oh, we think it's too flashy and therefore not humble enough, or um, right. the music is, is metal, and so inherently it must be wrong or bad. So you had all of that, which was from you know, the larger community that you were a part of, but you were, I think yeah. you were, you were, well, let me just kind of cut to the chase. I want to talk about the Christian stuff, but the thing that's true about your music is if you, even if you were able to sort of set that aside, the music is irrepressibly hopeful. And it seems like well, that's what people, you know, sorry, go ahead. That's, that's the goal. I mean, that's always been the goal. And, you know, it wasn't the goal pre-Striper. When we were Oxygen, we were just a typical cliche rock slash metal band. Yeah. And, and not to disrespect other rock slash metal bands, but man, that's boring as all get out. It's, it's been done a billion times singing about the same thing, you know, um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know? And then I was just listening to country station. Uh, I rarely listen to country stations. Now, old country, I used to listen to it all the time. I grew up on that. Believe it or not, that's another style I love. But new country, I, I can't do it. Uh, but we had it on while we were cooking out at the campground at country music. And I noticed that every lyric was the same. Literally every song had, at some point, I said, wait for it, wait for it. There it is, beer. <laughs> the word beer. Well, I told you, next song, I said, Lisa, just wait for it. There's going to be beer in this lyric. And she said, no, you think so? Yeah, wait, here, ah, well, there it is. You know, truck, beer, it's just the same lyric. And it, it, we, we were that kind of a band, just kind of singing about the same old, same old. And we decided to turn our lives around and commit our lyrics and our music to God because God had been knocking on our hearts doors for, for many years. So we had a couple of friends come in and we saw the change in their lives and in their hearts. So we did so. And there was no turning back, man. No regrets whatsoever. Now, will I say that it's been easy? No, no. It, it, and, I, and, and I certainly don't want people to think that, you know, I'm uh, feeling beat up or crying over anything, but it's been tough. Yeah. It's been, it's been tough. We, we get it from both sides, probably unlike any other band. Yeah. I would put us high on the list of bands that have gotten beat up the most. We're up there. And, um, you know, we can't seem to please, not that we're trying to, but we can't seem to please the Christian side. They're always calling us out on something. You know, the imagery, oh, they got pentagram on there. Oh, my gosh, they've got, they've got the, uh, the triangle. And, oh, my Illuminati. And, oh, Lord, you know, they're not real Christians. We've heard this for 37 years. Yeah. Yet, pe yet people are catching a striper Bible and saying the sinner's prayer with us and, and accepting Christ. Yeah. But we're not real Christians. Go figure. And then and then you've got the, the mainstream side who's always coming at us because we sing about God. So we can't be a real metal band. Yeah. We're we're a bunch of wimps and we're this and that. And, and I just think I laugh at that. That's hilarious. It's because, I mean, these guys that are singing about the devil are singing about a creation that was created by the creator. Yeah. <laughs> who is God almighty. So there ain't more metal than God. There isn't more metal than God. I'm, you're not going to find it. You know? So you can sit there and believe what you want to believe. But it's just interesting. And we've been that band that's kind of 
taking blows from both sides and we don't really care. We just keep, we stay on the straight and narrow, we stay focused and we keep doing what we do. And you can't, what are you gonna say about 30, almost 38 years and we're getting ready to start on our 14th studio album and tour after tour. And you can't stop the rock as, we, as we've said before. And what are you, what are you gonna say to that? I mean. Yeah, it's, it, there's, there's um, kind of no questioning the success you've had. Uh, and there have been moments where the the Christian community has uh, sort of finally had to acknowledge you, at least in certain quarters. There's places, of course, you've had um, Dove Award nominations. Um, you you consistently chart in the in the Christian uh, top charts, like even number ones. So there's you know there's even if that's begrudging from certain sectors of the Christian community, there's kind of no denying like. There's, there are Christians who love your music. And the, part of the point I was um, driving at is you get, you're going to have Christians who hate. You're gonna have, you obviously have Christians who love. Uh, you're right. going to have people who are non-Christian, or, or, and there's a, there's a lot of those types, whether they're atheists or agnostics, or they just think metal yeah. should only be you know, rough around the edges and, and ugly. Right. But, there's, but there's people who sit, who, who are reserved about their religious or faith views nevertheless like the music and as i was listening back to it with that lens um what i started to note is um it, this may be a consequence of the fact that you're writing from a from a, a, a christian place but the the themes of hope and free will um yep. and honesty these things which are virtues that that are christian virtues but you could argue should be human virtues yeah are right. are evident in all your music and i think that's why they're people one of the reasons the music's awesome by the way it's just thrilling to watch you guys play but if you get into the the themes and those sorts of things there's so much to commend it beyond the fact that oh these guys are christian um yeah for sure man well it, it's great to hear you say that because that's always been the goal and you know we don't get too deep with our lyrics and uh, there's a purpose for that yeah we don't we don't want it that's not who we are we want to keep it very simple because we live in a simple world yeah. You know, uh, it's it's just the way that it is. And especially with music, uh, I read an, uh, an interview or excuse me, an article about the music industry and how most listeners listen at a, a third. I believe it's a third grade level. Is that right? Yeah. They, the, the, the simpler, the, 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 the less is more. It, it's difficult for most people to comprehend you know, these crazy arrangements with a hundred chord changes versus just three chords. Yeah. And lyrically as well. So, you know, it, it, and, and when you think about it that way, it makes perfect sense, you know? So Stripers always tried to keep it simple yet at the same time, have our own flair, our own style. That's why we do a lot of harmony solos. Uh, we're not like the, the most shredding of, of shredders in terms of guitar playing, but what makes it difficult uh, to learn a striper song, if you're a guitar player, go learn Soldier Under Command, have fun, you know? Yeah. And, and let me know how you do with that. Because what's, what's interesting about it, and Howie Simon, who set in for us, we were just talking about this, we've talked about it before, but we don't follow the scale. You know, like Oz will play the third and I'll play the fifth and then he'll switch to the fifth and I'll switch to the third and then we'll go into unison 
it's really changing constantly, which makes it much more difficult. You know, you're the only second band I've heard. I'm sure there are more, but the only second band I've heard who do that kind of um, um, focusing in on different parts of the chord from different players in order to create the sound. The other one's Def Leppard. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's those little things that you don't really, you may not notice until you try to learn it. Yeah. And once you try to learn it, you think, oh, my gosh, this is harder than I thought, you know. And our songs aren't complex, uh, you know, they're not like dream theater and, you know, with all these insane changes, which that is amazing stuff. But yet at the same time, we work hard at making our music different. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, this ain't no ACDC, you know, and yeah. as great as they are, you know, that's more very direct and straight ahead and, and probably much easier to learn. Striper, we've got all these harmonies going on vocally and uh, musically, and it's, it, is, it is a lot to it. There really is. Yeah, no, I, there, there's anybody who thinks that it's uh, simple should be disabused of that notion. Um, 100%, 100%. Um, like I said, it's one of those things where, you know, it'd be one of those things if I'm doing a, um, you know, a clinic or something and some guy stands up and says, oh, that's easy. I'd say, here you go. Yeah, <laughs> try this. Come on up. Let's see you do it. You know, and, and I guarantee you nine times out of 10, even an accomplished player would be like, oh, dang, this is this is a little there's a little more to this than I thought, you know? Yeah. What's he doing there? I, I totally hear you there. Um, and and uh, not to harp the point, but on the vocal side. Uh, that what the way you sing is difficult to emulate because it's got I know that you you've talked about how you conserve breath you've learned all these things on your own but there's also a certain power to it and so and that, that's just the athletic nature that it, um, you know and, and range that that you possess but on the music side one of the things I, I like about it and that infuses so much of your music is it's it's um it it, it helps it makes you feel powerful Michael, well, that's that's a that's one of the things I came away with as I was listening to so much of it, it and I think that that's unique, uh, and I love that about Striper music and and your solo oh, music. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you, buddy. I I I've always been one of those guys that, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because my first this could I, I'm thinking of this right now for the first time. My first PA system my dad bought me was called the Sure Vocal Master. I don't know if you're familiar with those, uh -huh. but they were two columns about maybe five feet tall, each column. I think they had five speakers, little speakers in each column, and then a six channel console brain powered brain. And that was my, that was my PA speaker, uh, PA system. And it, it didn't get very loud. So we went and played backyard parties and I turned that thing all the way up and still couldn't hear me. So I think I got a lot of my singing loud because I was just trying to cut through the band and, and, and be in there with the band level wise. And that might've been a big part of it, man. Now that I think back on it, it sounds funny, but I think it might be true. No, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and, and that what's the testament to that is, um, you know, you've been in the industry, what, 30 plus years making records and, and had this facility with your voice that long. Um, that's, that's tough. Uh, especially when you're doing, uh, I know all about the biological challenges, you know, of a voice and doing that, that kind of athletic material on tour night after night under suboptimal conditions with bad food and 
little sleep and press interviews. Um, it just, yeah. it, it, it makes more, I think, notable um, what you do. So I want to say that as a, as a vocalist, I think I can say that um, and it's very defensible. I have to ask you about the record Against the Law, which to, it's a bad pun, but I think is criminally underrated. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's funny because I, I, I get a bad rap for this, but it's just me being me and being honest, you know, and if it, I don't want to lie about anything and be dishonest about anything, but I don't really even listen to that album. If I'm going to listen to a Striper album, I instantly gravitate to Soldiers Under Command and or one of the newer albums. Okay. Uh, you know, but Fallen or uh, even The Devil Believes or, you know, that's what I'll gravitate to. If I'm going to say, hey, you know, I, gosh, I'm kind of in the mood to listen to our, our own music. And that's rare. Believe me. Yeah. I'll pop in one of those. I, I never throw in against the law ever. And as much as it is a really good album produced very well by the legendary Tom Warman, Eddie Delena mixed it. It sounds great. It's really good. Yes, of course. And to some fans, a favorite. Not all fans. Sure. Because I go by the numbers. People say, you can't go by the numbers. Well, you kind of have to go by the numbers. I mean, that album was our, in terms of the old classic albums, the least selling album of all. Of all. Okay. There's got to be something to be said for that. People say, oh, because that was grunge. Grunge came in and wiped you guys out. Well, tell that to Firehouse, who in 1993 had huge big hits with ballads. You know, no, not no, that doesn't fly. I think what it uh, comes down to is we sold ourselves out on that album. As good as it is, it was not true classic striper, yeah. meaning we did away with the real nice layered harmony vocals and we had more gang vocals. We did away with this very few solo harmonies, guitar harmonies on that album. We changed the tone as, as good as that tone is. And some people may like it. It's not the striper tone. Uh, we changed the style of writing. We changed the colors. We lost the yellow and black. We all grew beard stubble and started doing this in the, instead of smiling. We just became a different band. Yeah. And I look back on that and I think, why did we do that? Why didn't we just stay who we were and just change things up a little bit and make a better album? Why did we try to change everything? And it's because of the place that we were in. Uh, I feel like we, you know, we started drinking and going down these paths that we really shouldn't have ever gone down. And it crept in, the ugliness crept in, and I think it kind of overtook the process, and there you have Against the Law. That's why that album just does nothing for me whatsoever. A few songs do. All for One, we play that live to this day. Yeah. Love that one. And then, you know, there's some songs like Two Bodies, One Mind, One Soul, Lady. You know, there's some really cool stuff on that album. Yeah. And I always say if it was a Van Halen album, it probably would have been one of their biggest albums. <laughs> probably would have. I, the, the, the only <clears throat> other defensible point I would make is you, you guys covered Shining Star by Earth, Wind & Fire. Yes. And you got, there was some critique about that. But I went back, yeah. and if you read the lyrics of that, that song, there's some really, really inspiring lyrics that are 100% oh, yeah. Christian consistent. 
for sure. No doubt. And not a lot of people know this. They say, why Earth, Wind & Fire? Well, Earth, Wind & Fire was one of our favorite bands growing up. Yeah, man. Yeah. I went to a school, a school in Pico Rivera on the Whittier-Pico Rivera line, uh, predominantly uh, uh, Mexican-American. Uh, I was one of three or four white guys in the school, you know, and uh, I remember going, walking down the halls and, you know, all the, all the gangbangers, you know, the cholos blasting Earth, Wind & Fire. And, and it, I became a huge fan. Oz was a fan. My brother was a fan. So we decided later in, on in life, hey, let's cover an Earth, Wind & Fire song. And we did. And we, we had a blast doing that. It's well done. Like, even if nobody wants to go and listen to that whole record, go listen to that cover. Um, actually, I think you should listen to the whole record. Uh, it's, not a, <laughs> it's not my favorite, but I think, I think it, it gets short shrift. I'll just leave it at that. It, it definitely does. And, and, and that, along with a few other albums, you know, I think that In God We Trust does because of its production. It was too slick, too polished. But if you get down to the meat and potatoes of that album, there's some really good songs on that album. Yeah. Uh, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other, from like the, the heavier side, Writings on the Wall. It's one of my favorite Striper songs. And then World of You and I. That's a great tune, yeah. but you know, it gets a bad rap as well because of the production being too, uh, too polished. Yeah. It's interesting what people's people will choose to critique. Um, it's almost like they're, they're looking for um, things to object to. Uh, and this is the other sort of underlying thing with what I try and do in these conversations is I um, try and build into fandom, the a fan of the artist and the things they do not get so, so, hyper-focused on a particular song or time. Because um, artists like right. yourselves are not, you're not out doing, you, you know, you didn't, it's not like you did two or three great records and you're out playing those. You're still writing meaningful music. And, and um, part of what I hope to accomplish with, with these kinds of conversations is to uh, share that. Um, so with that, as a, as a segue, let's talk a little bit about your, your solo career. Um, gosh, there's so much here, Michael. We and uh, we don't have time to cover it all. Do you have a hard stop at to, at, the, at the hour? No, I don't, man. We can go a little beyond that. Okay. That's fine. Okay. So your your first solo record, self titled, I, I mentioned up front, was like five number one singles there. It sold over two hundred and fifty thousand copies, which is just insane. Um, so you start, and of course you had some name um, because you. You, you always, everybody in the band knew it was important, but you've, I think, even gone on record is there's, there's got to be a leader. You're the guy who's writing most of the material. You're, you're serving as a producer. You're, you're penning the lyrics. So you kind of are a linchpin. Um, so you had, I think you had, people knew some of that about you. So when you started on your solo career, you had some folks interested to check it out. Um, I saw this little note I had to ask about is there was a, and this is not a hundred percent music related, but you spent a little time working on uh, your father-in-law's um, cranberry uh, business. How did you find time I for did, that? I did, yes. <laughs> it, at the time it was uh, uh, my wife, Kyle, uh, her dad uh, owned a campground called Maple Park in Wareham, Massachusetts. And it was a, it was a, a split business. It was uh, half of it was the campground, 400 sites, over 400. The other half was cranberry. They, they grew cranberries. Okay. They had 11 bogs. And I got the opportunity when we moved back here in 95, started in 96, to go to work for the family business. So I got to do the campground thing filling propane tanks, taking people to their sites, helping them get hooked up. You know, they called me Ranger Mike. 
And I, it come around October, started working the bogs. And we would harvest the bogs from October to November, wow. you know, and, and I would like go out there and, you know, uh, do the roundup, you know, with the hockey stick on the weeds and then pull all the sprinkler heads. And then we would flood the bogs and they would get knocked off with the machine and then we'd corral them. And I learned a lot about snapping turtles and, and brown spiders, believe me, and snakes, wow. water snakes. But yeah, it was interesting. And while I was working for the family business, I was writing the album Truth because I had uh, basically vowed to not do music anymore. Really? I, yeah, I was, in a, I was in a really dark place, musically speaking, because I was, when we moved back here, I was trying to shop and get a deal because Benson had closed their doors, which is the label that the first solo album and Real was on. Okay. So uh, Real got released in 95, the first album in 94, and they closed their doors. So I was uh, labelless, and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I started shopping with some other new music, and I was told no 100 times. You're too old. You're this. By the Christian, I was going after Christian deals and whatnot, and I learned a lot about the Christian industry at that time. And not to, you know, be cold or mean-spirited, but I realized that it was more of a business than mainstream, than the secular world. It really was, and, and is, I think, to this day, or certainly every bit as much a business um, and not as much a ministry as, as they would like you to believe. Uh, and I learned that the hard way back then, and it really kind of hurt my, my heart and my spirit. So I put all my gear in a closet, started selling and getting rid of gear, and I just said, you know, I'm done with this. And I worked for the family business from 96 to 2000. And then my, my heart started opening up again. I made an album with Kenny Lewis, opened up his studio to me, and I made uh, the album Truth, the first Blue Swirl version of that. And that's where everything started rolling again for me. And, uh, you know, it's been nonstop ever since, pretty much. Yeah. yeah Unbelievable. I, I have to, I'm glad to hear that story um, because I think it, it typifies what I think a lot of people go through. Um, whether it's challenges with their faith or career stuff or getting burnout. I, I can't tell you how many rock and metal musicians I've had conversations with who literally burn out. Oh, yeah. They, and, and I've done, I've been there and done that. But the difference in my personality with other personalities is I'm a very um, driven person. And I'm one of those guys, it's just the way that I'm built and made where I can get knocked down and lie there for 20 minutes or a day or a month or what have you. But then at some point I get back up and I feel stronger than I've ever been. Yeah. And it, it, I'm very determined. And I say that humbly, but I'm, I, I know that I can do anything. And I know God's put that in me. So I go out and I try to do anything and everything. And that's why I do so much. You know, I, I only take on what I feel led to take on, but at the same time, I take on a lot. And people say, man, how do you do so much? And it's like, it's it just, it, I love to work. My life is short. I might live to be, if I live to be 90 years old, I'm 58 now, you know? So that time's going to be gone before we know it. I want to do as much as I possibly can. So I'm trying to do that. Well, let me, let me uh, hit a couple of things before I asked you about Touched. Um, we don't have, I don't want to 
there's so much I still want to cover. Let me just say this about the album Real. It, for me, it's got this classic rock feel. Uh, people, uh, this is a side of you I hadn't really heard before. Uh, I spent some time with that album and really, really love it. Um, you did you did a, a, a record called Him, which was you yet another side of you, which was a very different thing, um, traditional hymns that you had rewritten and arranged. Um, and the way you sung, sang those was, um, yet again, kind of remarkably different from other things I'd, I'd heard you do before. I fast forward over those just for want of time to talk about Touched. And I, I'm sure that, that this is ground you've covered plenty of times. Um, but I, I wanted, for folks who maybe hadn't heard it or, or um, are less familiar with it, in this record, there's more, to my ear, more orchestral arrangements that you sing to. And it's, um, there's a, a thoughtfulness that, about it that I think is a consequence of the, the sort of life experience you had. Did, can you tell me anything about like where you were at when when you wrote this record? Because it is, um, it feels really kind of like you've laid your soul bare there. That's how it feels to me. And you're talking, you're referring to touch. Yeah, sorry, I'm fast forwarding on you. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Well, I mean, it, it, just to kind of back up a little bit with yeah. uh, with truth. All, all the albums that I do uh, are born and from experience and from my innermost deepest feelings and what I'm going through in the moment. That applies to truth. That applies to the first solo album on Benson. Yeah. That was a time for me where I was happy and spreading my wings and stretching out. And you can kind of hear that in that. It's a very pop, happy kind of thing. Uh, Real was, uh, you know, I want to do, I was listening a lot to Melissa Etheridge and stuff like that. And I want to do more of an acoustic kind of thing. Yeah. That's where I was at. Then you got Truth, which is there's there's a lot of pain in those lyrics. And, and, and even in some of the music that was born from me working the box. And then you got, uh, you move on to uh, uh, him. And something I always wanted to do was redo a bunch of my favorite hymns. So I just said to myself, I'm down in my studio. I said, ah, I'm going to do it. I started right then and there, you know, and it, it, it was just kind of done fairly quickly, but something I always want to do. And I felt like, oh, cool. I did this. The album Touch was uh, born from um, being Kyle's caretaker and wanting to do an album that was pretty much dedicated to her. And that's what I did. And I wanted to keep it real simple. And I had my buddy uh, Pete Van Tyne play piano. And I, a lot of songs that uh, I loved, a lot of songs that she loved, you know, just just wanted to make that very special. And then you you get into the other albums, solo albums, you get into um, uh, I'm Not Your Suicide. I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Well, let's talk uh, about we'll get to a, I, there's a couple other I want to talk about. But with that one, what I mean, there's some really heavy themes you, you tackle there. And I know that you say you like yeah. to keep things straightforward so that people don't get lost in layers. But there's still like there's some heavy, heavy topics you tackle there. What was the, the catalyst for that? Well, I mean, I see a lot of with social media in the past, you know, 15 years specifically, I see a lot of pain online, you know, people who are hurting and, you know, who are kind of beat up from other people. And that's a, a stomping ground for that. And, you know, I wanted to make an album that was more inspirational in that regard. That's why you had a song like I'm Not Your Suicide, which is referring to don't let 
uh, other people bring you down so low that you feel like you're their suicide. And it's not necessarily referring to, you know, taking your life. Yeah. It's more so referring to letting them take your life. Yeah. You know, you're, it, don't, don't let them rob you of that. It rise above it. It's only for a moment if you're being bullied or being picked on or what have you online or in person or whatever. It's only a moment. Rise above it. And it's very interesting to see what happens with, with people that are bullied, what happens with them and what happens with the bullies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've, I've seen it. I've lived it. I was that skinny, scrawny kid who got picked on. And uh, I, I, you know, my life turned around and, and some of those guys that were bullying me, their lives turned around. They were the all-star, you know, football quarterback. And, you know, without going into details, it, it, it kind of reversed, you know, yeah. uh, the way, the way things work out. So just know that it's, it's season, it's going to pass. It's a storm stay positive, rise above it. And that's what that album was based on, basically, trying to inspire people to do so. And you guys had a, a Child Help Foundation partnership, right? Or something with that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's important to me to, to try to always be a light in the dark and, and steer people in the right direction to, to have better lives and to be inspired and be encouraged. That, that's why I do what I do. Music's amazing. I love the musical side of it, but I also love even more so the side where I know it's had an effect and an impact on people's lives. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. That record resonates that, that way. And I, as I was saying earlier, you're, you have this quality in your writing and in your voice that, that uh, I think helps people feel powerful. So the, the combination of some of the the topics you were tackling and the way you make music. I think that was a great, that was a great synergy there. Um, well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you to hear you say that, man. And, and, you know, right after that album, I'm not your suicide, which was a little bit more of an eclectic mix musically uh, and even lyrically to a degree. Uh, I went more in a metal direction um, and, you know, with one sided war yeah. and then 10 and I was just kind of feeling that's where I was at. Like, man, I don't want to bring in all these guitar players and just more of a shred fest and, and get heavy and purposely. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then oh, just recently over the holidays, I was down in my studio. I'm like, you know what? I want to make like an inspirational album. And I made an inspirational album. You have not heard yet. Nobody else has heard yet, but it's really different. Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's unlike anything I've ever done. Wow. Well, so let me let me give a couple sparklers on what you just hit there. That one-sided war um, was the number seventy-seven most sold album in the, in the U.S. on the Billboard two hundred, number one most so, sold album of Christian albums. So there's one where you being you and getting heavy still received by actual Christian listeners. <laughs> um, it's really cool, man. It's really cool because I mean, it comes down, and I'm not patting myself on the back at all, but this refers to any band. I don't care if it's heavy or light. If it's good, it's good. You know what I mean? If you're making or writing something or producing something that's good, people are going to get it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, the, the thing about 10, which is maybe sort of implicit, but you have this who's who of collaborators, which yeah. is cool from a just a listener standpoint. Hey, man, I get to listen to Jeff Loomis and Gus G and Joel Hoekstra. Yeah. But it right. also says something like if you, they, those guys just don't collaborate with anybody just because they, 
have time to fill. So, I mean, it says something about you, I think, that they would be willing to throw in to do a record like this. Don't you think? Yes. It's very humbling for me. Yeah. But these guys, these guys, I don't get to break bread with them often, sure. but they're friends. They're dear friends of mine. You know, I'm, I'm always texting back and forth with these guys. Like, how you doing? Hey, what's up, brother? Love you. You know, and, you know, we're all buddies and there's a, a mutual respect that's very high. Yeah. For all of these guys. And, and you know, I'm getting ready to do an album with George Lynch, you know, and. Even though George and I have different uh, spiritual views, uh, we respect each other. Right. Um, and, and that's why we work together. I mean, at least I hope so. And that's why we're doing a third Sweet Lynch album together. Uh, and it's really cool, man. And, you know, some people say, well, why didn't you just play the guitars on these last two albums? And I wanted, I'm always trying with my solo stuff to make it different from Striper. But I tell you, that's almost impossible to do, being the voice of the band and the writer for the band and, and a guitar player in the band. It's very difficult to do. Yeah. But I try, believe it or not. Well, I was, I mean, I have that exact um, note I made in listening to the Sweet and Lynch stuff is that uh, it's still, you can't not hear a song you're singing on and know it's you. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. Having a signature like that is important. Uh, but for sure, but absolutely. And it's funny, I, just a quick uh, yeah. comment on, on the Sweet Lynch thing. I've had many people come up to me and say, oh, yeah, that song sounds just like a Striper song. And I say, well, you got to talk to George about that because he wrote the music. <laughs> well, that's what I was just going to say is is um, it's really cool to I can tell the difference in in George writing the, the guitar stuff from the, the stuff I've heard now so much of your solo and, and all of your work with Striper and um, the stuff you did with Tracy Guns. Uh, and it's cool. I mean, I think it actually, uh, I saw, I heard different, you do different things because the music was different. You were responding in different ways. I'm, yeah. I, I'm glad that you choose to kind of work outside with other musicians. I think this is a cool collaboration. Oh, I love it, man. It really, it's interesting when you, when you work with someone like George and he sends you all these musical ideas it really opens your mind to doing new things and, and experimenting a little bit in a more broad way. And I love that. That's, that's so cool. And same with Tracy, Tracy Guns. He sent me the music. He wrote all the music. And then, you know, I got to uh, collaborate on the lyrics and the melodies and whatnot. And it was, that was really different too. Much darker and, and, and you know, more of a Sabbath-y kind of vibe. And I really enjoyed doing that. Really cool. Yeah, it has its own flavor for sure. I listened to that record this morning. Um, and for folks who haven't heard the names, Only to Rise, Unified, there's a third album forthcoming. I don't think we have all the details yet. You're just starting on that one. But that music is really good. Not only does it, I think, carry all the best stuff we remember about great late 80s uh, guitar-driven music, but it's very current. Like, it's got a – It's. The, I mean, the, obviously, the production's really great. But um, – I don't know. There's something about, about you guys who've been in it so long as you write with maturity now that's just really exciting. Um, I was, you know, me and all my friends are big fan of your st the stuff you're doing with, with, uh, with George. I wanted to ask, I saw an announcement. I don't know if it's still going forward, but you've got a, there was some announcement about something you were going to do with uh, Nathan James, Joel Hoekstra, and Tommy Aldridge. Is that still in the works or? That is. And uh, the other guy who's involved with that uh, is Marco Marcello, who's playing bass now for Journey. Okay. 
And um, it's the five of us. And that is basically being finalized now. The final mix stage is on that album. Little tweaks, and then it's going to get mastered, and we're going to do some videos over the next few months. That's really cool. Uh, and that'll get released, and that's really cool. I, I had the opportunity. I basically co-wrote everything, played rhythm guitars on everything. I played just two solos on it because, I mean, when you got Joel Holkstra, you know, come on now. You don't, you don't need Michael Sweet <laughs> hacking his way through it. And then I, I sang two duets with Nathan uh, on the two songs that I played two solos on with Joel. So it was really cool. And it's, it's got a real throwback vibe to it with some modern twists. It's definitely more reminiscent of Whitesnake, early, like 87 Whitesnake. It's really cool. Okay. Do, any timing on that one? Like... If I had to guess, uh, I mean, oh gosh, if you asked me six months ago, I would have been way wrong. Okay. Uh, but now that it's in the final mix stage, I'm going to say, let's see, we're in mid-September, late September. I'm going to say usually you go forward about uh, three or four months, and that's when you'll probably start seeing the first song. I'm so maybe, yeah, maybe by like, uh, you know, January. Okay. Well, is there a project name for that? Maybe even December, you might be. Hey, well, yeah, it, I I can't. There is, but I can't say yet. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag and the label say, "Hey, you know, we were gonna, you know, announce." <laughs> it, it, once they announce it, I'll start. You'll just saying, share. Exactly. That's gonna be. A, a, I'm really excited about that one because I've had I've had Joel and Nathan both as you know on my show, uh, and they're just you know such good guys as well as such consummate players. Um, I really they're great that record great human beings man and I tell you what a, what an honor for me to be a part of an album with Nathan Angel and Tommy and Marco and it's like wow what a, what a dream gig what a dream band and hopefully we'll actually be able to get out there and do some performances that would be amazing hey I, I saw um, I've only got one or two more things I wanted to ask you about um, and by the way if you if you tour that record that's going to be insanely successful i'm just going to go on oh. record and say it right now um, uh, man i'm telling you it'll be so good and it really is sounding amazing and i mean the talent in the band you know is just crazy amazing yeah. i think um everybody in there i think is really well established i think i think though nathan hasn't i think his talent hasn't uh, his career hasn't reflected his talent yet as, oh, a, yeah. as a vocalist um, Absolutely. And he's got such a, a incredibly powerful voice and, you know, such a charisma when he sings. And, you know, he, he reminds me a lot of, of a young Coverdale, yeah. you know, Ian Gillen, Coverdale back from that era, that time frame, which is what I miss about singers nowadays. You don't you don't find that. There are only a few guys out there doing that. And he's one of them. Yeah, you're 100 percent right about that. Um, I saw you're involved, it looked like, with uh, a some sort of film project called The Jesus Music. Can you tell us anything yes. about that? Well, that is a, a Christian-based film that is uh, bringing to light all the uh, forefathers of Christian music. You know, Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, uh, DC Talk, the, the, the big names of Christian music, right? And uh, it, it's, it's done. I want to say it's released. If it's not released, it's going to be released very soon. And they ask us to be a part of it. 
Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it, it just to, to be a part of it is really cool. I mean, we've never really felt I'm just, again, being honest, we've never really felt a part of that group yeah. uh, because we haven't been. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, whenever there are things that are done uh, on, a, on a really high level in terms of uh, big events or what have you, you know, Striper is never called upon. I mean, we're, we're not a part of that group. And it is a tight knit group. Trust me. Uh, so to have been asked to be a part of this kind of made our heads spin like, huh? Uh, OK, sure. You know, it, it was a little out of left field. Uh, but we are a part of it, and it's it's very interesting. It's very cool and, and very well done as well. Well, you know, to state the obvious, it would have been an oversight not to include you. And I think, you know, you've kind of described you've been like the redheaded stepchild, both to the Christian and the secular <laughs> rock and metal community. But the but the, for all of that, you found this this success and for, from people from both camps. Um so I'm very happy that they chose to include you. I think it's 100% justified. Um, so I wanted to do a couple of things just as, as so hopefully as helps to you. Um, you guys have, I think the band has an ongoing Patreon going. I don't know if, if it's launched or if it's coming. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's launched. It's been uh, live for maybe seven or eight months. Okay. And it is basically... Um, I believe it's the website is uh, patreon.com forward slash striper. Okay. S-C-R-Y-P-E-R. And uh, I think we're at almost like 400 patrons and it, which is really cool. And it's just a great way. It's not just about supporting the band financially, because let's face it, it does help support the band financially during these tough times, but it's more so about the content is really cool. Yeah. Striper does some really unique things. We've got some things going on. Like I've been doing uh, uh, listening parties oh, wow. where people who are patrons can come and join us. And I'm sitting there, you know, hanging out with people, eating pizza, and I'm going through the breakdown of each album. And the next one coming up is In God We Trust. Oh, excellent. What, when is that? That is Friday, this coming Friday. So I think the 24th. Okay. Yeah. 8 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern. And it, it basically people can, if they want to just partake in one event, they can pay seven bucks, seven bucks a month, the lowest tier. Yeah. You can be a part of it. And then you can drop out if you don't want to keep, you know, the subscription going or paying the, the monthly fee. Um, but it's really cool, man. We're doing lots of stuff. We're going to do live stuff. We're going to do, you know, we're, each guy goes in there and posts videos and pictures and, it's very active, and I think the Striper Patreon page is one of the coolest Patreon pages available today. Yes, am I biased? Of sure. course. But expect you to it, is, it is cool. It's very cool. And I think it's an important uh, you know, avenue for artists, particularly now, but in an, in, you know, in an industry that doesn't – where the main revenue in the pie is cut from a lot of the digital streaming and the amount of that that the artist actually gets – Things like this direct exactly. direct to fans like engagement is I think it's important ways for band, for uh, fans to show their support. So I it, and I know that you guys work hard to create cool content. I think that I would have assumed that, but I'm I encourage oh, yeah. people who are fans to to check it out. We'll include a link to it. For sure. Well, we appreciate it, man. And we always give people their money's worth. That goes for anything that we do, whether it's an album, a live show, a VIP package. 
you know, we're not about taking a couple hundred bucks and giving them a photo and we don't show up. I mean, we, we always go out of our way to really make it worth their while and worth every penny that they spend because let's face it, money's tight for everybody these days. So let me ask you this. Um, you've done so much musically. Uh, I, I like to, to ask the folks I talk to, is there another mountain you want to climb? Uh, it could be a creative mountain. Maybe you always wanted to star in a Broadway musical. Or maybe you always wanted to build a boat. Like this is the thing I asked Russell Allen. Russell Allen actually built a wooden boat. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Speaking uh, of Russell, Russell Allen is another one of those singers that I was referring to. He's he's one of my favorites. What a great person and a great singer. I love him dearly. Um, man, not really. I mean, I I would love to be able to just relax someday and and not be at a hundred miles an hour yeah. and enjoy stop as they say stop and smell the roses i feel like i never stop and smell the roses uh but there's not really a goal that i have or something i want to do i tried acting a little bit but it was more of like uh, in a in a fun you want me to act ha 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 sure okay you know it wasn't a serious thing for me maybe someday it, it could become that because i enjoyed it yeah it was it was kind of fun uh, the small little role, uh, roles that I, I have done. But, uh, you know, music is just such a part of who I am. I can't see myself doing anything other than music. And as long as I can, I'm breathing, I'll still be doing music, I, I would think. Is there, a, is there a style of music that you love that you just you haven't had the time yet to write and record? Well, I mean, I love all styles. Uh, I, I, I kind of taken a shot at country, you know, a song like Coming Home. Yeah. Uh, and I grew up, I, I felt like I could get away with it because I grew up on country. It, I, I, I don't feel that I'm just some rock guy trying to be country. I literally grew up around country. My, my parent, my dad wrote a number one country song in 78 called I Don't Want to Have to Marry You. Oh, wow. I played, played on his sessions when I was young. Uh, literally grew up in that in that uh genre but uh man i don't know i would never try to attempt something or do something that uh, i'm not i always want to be real with what i do yeah uh, you know i don't want to be that guy that is just trying to cash in and sure uh you know because fans fans aren't dummies man they know what's real and they know what's not yeah yeah that's true although i could see you writing a really good uh, country record um, like a full country record I mean I, I I know I could do it but the question is I'd have to feel led to do it you know and if I if that day ever comes maybe it will I'll have a go at it but uh, I would want to do it the right way yeah you know I'd want to hire the right players and, and make sure it's a hundred percent legit not me trying to play country licks you know and it, it, it's no uh, <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> well, Don't do that. <laughs> you, um, I think if the day comes, you'd be led. I, I, uh, um, I have the feeling that it would be authentic. I, it, the things you've done, the different flavors we've explored here, and maybe some we've even missed, have never felt like a, a reach. Um, and uh, I love that about artists. It's one of the reasons I like doing this show is because I get to uh, hopefully discover things I don't know and share those. So. Um, gosh, Michael, you've been so gracious with your time. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. 
Well, Peter, thank you, man. You, you have a great show. It's very professional. You've done a great job. Thank you for having me on. Hopefully I, I, I brought a little energy to the, to the show, you know, and I hope many people enjoy it and see it and view it and anything I can do, let me know in terms of sharing or, or getting the word out there. Yeah, man. Um, I will. And uh, thanks. Thanks to your wife. Uh, she was great at helping us get coordinated. And thanks to Wayne Joyner, who. Um, oh, gosh. He's like the Wayne, salt of the earth guy, man. Wayne, Wayne's another dude, man, that I love so dearly. Uh, what a talent in, 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 in terms of what he does, uh, videos and oh my word. So, so good. And what a sweetheart, right? Yeah. So he's so talented, so humble. Uh, I, I met him through a mutual acquaintance in the Dream Theater uh, band. Um, yep. And that's, that's how. And then he and I got talking. He said, well, I could probably shoot a note to Michael. I said, do it, do it. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's amazing. And my wife is obviously, you know, she's, she's incredible. She, yeah. she, she dots every I and crosses every T and she's just so together in that sense. It's unbelievable. Well, Hey man, if you'll just sit tight so I can say a personal goodbye, I'll play the outro for the people that are with us on the show and then we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye. Perfect. All right. Thanks, man. Sit tight. Okay, man.